0: We're in Psalm 33 tonight, Psalm 33, before we get to our singspiration, a little bit we'll look into God's word tonight, Psalm 33, you'll notice in the beginning of Psalm 33 that there is no author, many times the book of Psalms it gives you an author for the psalm, there's no author indicated. You read through the commentary, some believe it's David, some say, no, 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 it's not David. But pretty much they all, at least the ones that I read, they, they all came to the conclusion that it, it's, it's not that the, the scripture is not given an author here on purpose. Because of the subject matter of Psalm 33, That God would rather have us look beyond the human author to to the divine author. He would have us to stand in all of his mighty acts, of his great love and compassion, of his unsurpassed mercy, to look not to the human author and to his circumstances as to why he's writing, but to gaze on the Holy One who is worthy to be praised. So Psalm 33, as we're looking, verse 1, begins in very similar fashion, however, as Psalm 32, verse 11, the last verse there. So we're going to begin. Now, Psalm 32 is a psalm of David, uh, noted there, as well as Psalm 34, which is the psalm that comes after Psalm 33, So Psalm 32, verse 11 is where we're going to begin. Psalm 32, verse 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy all ye that are upright in heart. Okay, now compare that to Psalm 33, verse 1, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. So we're going to divide the psalm tight into three sections, the first and the last are shorter, while the middle section will take up uh, uh, most of the verses here. So uh, first, a call to praise Jehovah, second, a celebration of Jehovah's power, and then lastly, a confident conclusion. So number one, a call to praise Jehovah. Let's read Psalm 33, verses one through three. Righteous, uh, sorry, rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp, sing unto him with psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise. Our word rejoice here in the beginning in verse one could also be translated and is most of the time translated sing. 20 times in the scripture this word is translated sing. 11 times rejoice, sometimes sing aloud, sometimes shout for joy, sometimes sing for joy. So definitely a musical context here. Rejoice in the Lord. Now you notice that throughout this psalm, I believe every single time that the word Lord, L-O-R-D, is used, it is in all caps. Which we know, being the Bible scholars that you are, that this Is a name of Jehovah. Right? The the Almighty Sovereign Name of God. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Jehovah. Or sing to Jehovah, or shout aloud to Jehovah. Now, next for praise is comely. Now the praise there is actually a noun. Okay? So it is it has specific um, s- specific connotation to a hymn. So e- essentially, pra- um, praise for praise is comely, for a praise hymn, <coughs> excuse me, a praise hymn is comely or, or beautiful. A praise him is comely or beautiful for the righteous, for the upright, for those who are just, for those who abide by God's law. Verse 2, praise the Lord with harp. Now, this is a different word uh, than our first praise. This is actually a verb, which means to praise or or to give thanks or thanksgiving. So give thanks or give praise to the Lord with harp. Now, harp means a harp. Okay? Uh, And an instrument similar to what David would have uh, excelled in, as we read through the scriptures of of his playing that, so praise the Lord with a harp. Sing unto him with a psaltery. Sing means, could. it's mostly pray, uh, translated as the word praise in other passages, praise, or many times as sing as well, or specifically to sing psalms, interestingly enough. To sing psalms, a psaltery, just like, a similar to a harp or a lyre, and then likewise, the instrument of 10 strings uh, being that harp-like instrument, but specifically with 10 strings, and it occurs 16 other times, that particular instrument uh, uh, throughout the scriptures. And then verse three, the pride and joy of all music teachers, sing unto him a new song, play skillfully with a loud song, with a loud noise. So verse three, sing unto him Uh, This is, again, a different word for sing, uh, but it does mean sing, or it could mean a singer, a man or a woman singer sometimes. It's translated as, so sing unto him a new song, a new song. Now, this word new could also mean fresh. Uh, The idea here, I was trying to think, how can I explain this best? You know, when you're reading through the scriptures, and sometimes you see a truth that maybe you've seen many times before, but it has new life, it has new new lift to it, 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 it blesses your heart more, or in a different way. When we come to sing God's praises here, even here in this church, we come to gather corporately, to worship, and to sing to the Lord. Let it not just be something, a time where we come to do church. We don't just come to fulfill our tradition, our our weekly obligation, but we come to sing from our hearts. We'll talk much more of this later as as we move on. As you know, Charles Spurgeon wrote The Treasury of David, and I'll be quoting him a few times here tonight, and he says this, he says, Let let us not present old, worn-out praise, but put life and soul and heart into every song, since we have new mercies every day, and see new beauties in the work and the word of our Lord. Now, I am in no way advocating some, some, uh, promote, well, this is a new song, means that we need to have something completely different. And then they use that as their springboard to justify using, I don't know how they, uh, music of the world in the church, because it's different in the church, perhaps. I'm, I'm not sure how they say new there, but but we ought not to use the music of the world in the church simply because it would be new to the church. That's not the idea. That would go against many, many other principles and passages in the Lord. No, but rather have a renewed interest or a renewed spirit as we sing and as we read the the, the word of God, a fresh take, uh, a renewed spirit as we sing this new song. And then to play skillfully. Uh, To play means to play an an instrument specifically. Skillfully is a word that could mean to be done well or good or it's pleasing. To make make a beautiful sound. For it to be acceptable. No one likes to hear or see something done poorly. Uh, That's not something that we're interested in, and and much less here uh, in the house of God. And we should do our best as we sing and as we play, as we sing, you say, well, I've never had lessons. And um, I've heard many people say, but I can't carry a tune in a bucket, right? Um, We'll talk a little bit more about this later. Uh, in in this passage here. In fact, the very next uh, skillfully and with a loud noise. You say, okay, well, how do those two go together? <laughs> skillfully and with a loud noise? Well, the loud noise could actually be interpreted as a shouting or, or an alarm. Now, I'm not suggesting that we are Producing alarm type, alarming sounds as we sing our hymns. That's not what I'm saying. But, but the idea is, you know how when, when a trumpet plays, you can hear it. Right? There, you don't need too many trumpets in, in an orchestra for the sound to come riding above everything else. Right? Or particularly, this word has connotations for high. High High sounds. as as a trumpet would be. The idea is this, folks. Don't be bashful as you sing. Don't be timid. Sing out. Just as you can't hide a trumpet sound, don't hide your voice or be ashamed of it. We had one man in our church that I grew up in. It's a small church. Most, Most... Of the years, I'd say we were probably under 70, 60, 75 people in a small room. And um, uh, he's with the Lord now. His name was Bert Sherman. For whatever reason, I still remember his name. Um, But he was a great example of this. Literally, the man could not carry a tune in a bucket, Okay. But he was unashamed. Now, could I say he did not sing specials before the message? All right? We all have our talents and our giftings. But in the congregation, he lifted and no one told him to be quiet because it was obvious this man was praising God. All right? Sing skillfully and with a loud noise. May I, um, and I've read from this uh, before, but I'd like to do that again. So I'm going to read from John Wesley's Instructions for Singing, which is found in the preface of his songbook, Sacred Melody, which was published in 1761. In the preface, he lists seven instructions for singing, all right? and they're totally applicable for today. Number four says this. Now the vocabulary takes us a little bit to get through, but he says this. The fourth instruction is this. Sing lustily and with good courage. And he explains it. Beware of singing as though you were half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of of its being heard than when you sang the songs of Satan, all right? Don't be bashful. Sing out. So if I could just recap verses one through three. Sing aloud to Jehovah, all you who are just and right. For singing a praise him is beautiful for just and right people. Give thanks to Jehovah on a harp. Sing to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to Jehovah a new song. Play skillfully and loudly. Now we come to this middle section. right? It's really verses 4 through 19. So it's the bulk of the psalm. And I've entitled this, our second point, A Celebration of Jehovah's Power. A Celebration of Jehovah's Power. If you will, it, it, the scripture gives us reasons to praise God, details some attributes, details his word, details his power. So first, men should praise God for his power in creation. We're going to read verses 4 through 7. 4 through 7. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap, and he layeth up the depth in, in storehouses. Now, I feel like I have to apologize already, because there is so much. I actually thought about just doing a few verses. There's so much in here that I can't possibly expound as i should perhaps or would like to on every verse or every word as we did on the first three Um, but we will try to uh, draw your attention to a few things so verse four god's word is absolutely truthful and correct there is no error and everything he does is good and true Psalm 119.60, the word is true from the beginning and every one of the righteous judgments endureth forever. John 17.17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Verse 5, the word goodness there could actually mean loving kindness. Loving kindness. Verses 6 and 7, praise God for his marvelous creation by the word of his mouth. Now, I'm sure you've thought about this before, but I'd just like to remind you and and bring your thoughts back to the marvelous, the incredible thought that God created everything by the word of his mouth. He spoke, and all things were created. Genesis 1, 3. And God said, let there be light and there was light. Genesis 1.6. And then I'm going to skip to the end, 7b. And God said, let there be a firmament. Then the end of verse 7. And it was so. Genesis 1.9. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and dry land appear. And it was so. God said, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven. And it was so. And you could go on through the entire count of creation. God spoke and it was so. I can't think of anything more powerful, more great, more, in the truest sense of the word, awesome. Than to try to wrap my mind around such omnipotence to speak, and there's creation. That is our God. So throughout the biblical account of creation, God spoke, and it was so. Praise God, that is power. So in the second section, uh, within this middle section, uh, verses 8 through 19, uh, verse 8, Let all the earth, men should fear God for his power over men and over evil. That's kind of our our subtitle here. Men should fear God for his power over men and over evil. So verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in all of him. We fear the Lord. We stand in all of him. Verse 9, for he spake, and again, it was done, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Again, reminds me of Genesis 1. Verse 10, the Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. Evil, we need to remember this today. Evil cannot stand against our God. He has the victory. He has won the victory. He is stronger. He is more powerful than evil. Even though we look at evil today and say evil is winning. We feel like our world is upside down. We feel like right is wrong and wrong is right. But folks, do not forget that God is not mocked. He is still on the throne today. He is stronger. He is bigger. He is more powerful then his counterpart, that wicked Satan, who lifted up in pride against him, against the God of heaven, and was cast out. He tries to imitate God and falls short. He tries to imitate in many, many ways. But he is evil. He is a liar and the father of it. But God's word is true and stands forever. And ever. I'm sorry, I have to do as one of my preacher friends does. Amen? Okay, come on. God is still on the throne, folks. Do not be cast down because evil looks like it will not win. God has the victory, He has already won the victory. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Tough crowd tonight, okay. Verse 11, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever in the thoughts of his heart to all generation. Um, some reminds me of Psalm 119, verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Verse 12, we're familiar with, right? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and whose people whom he hath chosen for his inheritance. Now, this was a promise given to Israel. However, let me state, as again, Charles Spurgeon says, all who confide in the Lord are blessed in the largest and deepest sense, and none can reverse this blessing. Read verses 13 through 15. The Lord looketh from the heaven and beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the evil. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. God sees all. Nothing happens without God's knowledge of it. Job says in chapter 34, For his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his goings. Verses 16 and 17. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. A horse is a vain thing in safety, neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. No man can defeat God. No, anything or any person can defeat God. The strength of man is mere weakness before God. Isaiah 12 two, behold God is my salvation I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord Jehovah both words in capital for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song and has also become my salvation. Verses 18 and 19 behold the The eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death, to keep them alive in famine. Now, at this point, it pulls me into Psalm 34, one of my favorite Psalms. There are several verses there that that reflect these thoughts. I'll read them for you. Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse, Psalm 37, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Verse 9. O fear the Lord his saints, for there is no want with them that fear him. And verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. You think of a God all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. And yet, he thinks of you. His eyes are open to you. His ears are open to your cries. All powerful, all seeing, all knowing. And yet he loves me. He loves you. Finally, let's look at the last th- three verses together. Um, I, I've titled this number three A, a Confident Conclusion. Confident Conclusion. So as we enter into this conclusion of the song, the writer shifts his attention from exploring, if you will, the nature and the acts of God, exploring who he is and what he's done, his expanse, and shifts his attention to us. What, since God is that, Is all of this and so much more. Since God is, what is your response? What is my response to him? This is the nature of these last three stanzas. What then is to be my response to so great a God? Verse 20. Our soul waiteth on the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. So the first three verses of Psalm 33 were as, as if they were invitations, yea, commands, but invitations to praise God, to sing, to use music to praise our God for his greatness. And then the next verses, 4 through 19, however little detail, but try to detail and expand on who God is. And explaining, drawing our attention to his greatness and to his great power. Essentially, as I've said earlier, reasons to praise God, if you will. And now in these final three verses, he wants us to reflect. He wants us to meditate. So since all of this is true of God, verses 4 through 19, since all of this is true, what should be my response? Verse 20. To trust him enough to wait for him. To trust him enough to trust this all knowing, all powerful, all seeing, yet loving God. Can you trust him enough to wait? To wait expectantly for him to work? For he is our helper and our shield, our protector. Verse 21, rejoice, as we saw in verses one through three. Rejoice, he is worthy of our praise. And then lastly, pray for his mercy. I hope you think of God's mercy often, deeply, mercy again Charles Spurgeon says to wait is a great lesson to be quiet in expectation patient hope single in confidence is the one is one of the bright attainments of a Christian our soul our life must hang upon God those of you who, who know, I, I enjoy reading the entries uh, as it comes up of Webster's Dictionary of 1828. It uh, has scripture references and many of the uh, definitions there. And of, of mercy, he says this, mercy, that benevolence, mildness, or tenderness of heart, which disposes a person to overlook injuries, or to treat an offender better than he deserves. The disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment or inflict less than the law or justice will warrant. Let thy mercies, O Lord, be upon us. Mercy is only extended to the offender you cannot receive mercy if you've not done anything wrong mercy is extended it's contrasted with grace grace can be giving can be given to the deserved grace can be given is unlike grace which can be given to anyone but mercy is only extended to Uh, to the offender we can and should pray for God's mercy and grace but we are undeserving of either mercy is one of the greatest attributes of God and I'm out of time I know Uh, if you're taking notes jot down Exodus 34 5 through 8 Exodus 34 5 through 8 Psalm 103 7 through 8 Psalm 103 seven through eight it goes through this is moses going up to the mountain second time to receive the commandments of god and he wants to see god and god passes by and he's he he proclaims who he is as he passes by and he says he's merciful that's echoed again in psalm 103 so what, what is your response, folks? What is your response when you come face-to-face face with who God is, as we've read, as we've studied here in Psalm 33? Our text begins with a command to praise God with with song, and we'll give you opportunity to do that as we get into our sing Psalm 33 ends with a much more quiet, more, more reverential fear of one, Of the one and only sovereign, holy, and just God of all. To sing is good. It is obedient. God commands us to sing. But folks, it is an expression of our devotion. It is expression of our worship. It must follow a humble heart of consecration. A humble heart of love, of dependence, of unworthiness, of thankfulness, of love in order to sing and to worship. Otherwise, we only come to do church. We come to sing the hymns that we have come to love so dearly. Which is true. And we sing to God, and is this acceptable to him? If we sing his praises and yet our heart is not with him. I submit to you on the basis of scripture that it is not acceptable to him. God knows our hearts. We bow before a sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth as the supreme being. There is none, there is no one, there is no thing that is greater. There is no one and no thing that is more powerful. There is no one and no thing that is wiser. No one and no thing that is more loving than our Lord God. He is God. Our song is but an expression of our heart. Will you make certain tonight that your heart is right with God? Uh, let's let's bow our heads and let's pray together, please, Lord. We love you, and our lives should live to be this praise to you. Lord, we do pray for your help. We do pray that you would help us to be all that we need to be lord help us to praise you as we ought help me us to honor you as your scriptures have declared to us who you are tonight and then lord help us to truly just come to the conclusion to quietly to wait on you. You are our help. Lord, that we would rejoice and trust in you. And Lord, may your mercy, may may we realize that it is of your mercies that we are not consumed. Amen.